Hey, good morning, Grace Church. How y'all doing? It's so good to have y'all in the house today. Hey, can we all together welcome the online church, the online family that's joining us? See you right there through that camera. Good to have you with us as well. Good to have so many friendly faces here. By the way, I was going to mention that summer camp happened three days, and we reached a total of like 80 kids that came throughout those three days, just in case you thought, they just didn't all want to be on stage today. In case you thought that was the size, there was, there was a larger uh, footprint. So just to let you know, uh, it was a real fun time um, leading that. Uh, I wasn't leading that. Uh, I'll just stop talking about it. <laughs> Lori Keller and her team, so amen. Uh, we're just so thankful for what God is doing in the life of all these families here, in the life of all these kids. Hey, we're in a season, um, a series called Grace, and this is the fourth installment of that series, the fourth message, and um, there's still so much to talk about, amen? We haven't exhausted, nearly exhausted all that we can talk about God and his nature, but today I've entitled this message called Grace-Based Worldview, and I want to dig into some stuff that... I think would really help us. And, and I know that I found it helpful to, to understand some of these truths and revelations. But um, I don't know what your worldview is, but um, I believe we live in one of the most corrupt societies that this planet has ever seen. Maybe we're not worse than the Roman culture. I don't know. I wasn't there. How about you? You know, but I see a lot of corruption and probably so do you. I'm not talking politically, I'm talking about all around, right, left, up, down, wherever, you know, however you vote, there's just a lot of corruption going on, and that we have a society that is not afraid of calling evil good and good evil, amen? And we know that the answer is Jesus, and so I know that's so cliche nowadays, well, the answer is Jesus, but what does that actually mean? And, and I want to talk about that just a little deeper today, and um, it starts with, in my opinion, it starts with a, a Christian approach to God because how many know that the way that you approach God and view God is that it influences the way that you approach the world, amen? You understand that? I think I've said that before, maybe different words, but the question I'm asking today is do I have a grace-based worldview? Is my worldview solid in the actual gospel of grace? Um, Matthew 16, 18 says this, and um, Jesus is talking to Peter. He says, I'm going to build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I used to read that verse a little bit opposite. You know, like, in other words, like the church is going to stand up against the onslaught of the enemy and stand strong. But actually, what it's, what it's saying is that the enemy won't be able to stand up against the advancing church. I'm going to create a people I'm going to create a church. The word is ecclesia. Well, what that word is means a, so, a called out people group that's really special, filled with the power of God and the gates of hell. They cannot build a gate strong enough to keep those crazy Christians from robbing hell to populate heaven. Amen. And the enemy will be running for his life. And the, have you read the end of the book? He doesn't last forever. Come on, somebody. He knows that he's already a defeated foe. And Jesus says, I'm going to do that through a special people group. And so he's actually sending a warning to the enemy. Look out. Your time is up. And so it's time for us to keep advancing as, as the ecclesia, the so-called out people group that says, you know, I'm a crusher of the gates of hell. 
And so Jesus wasn't just saying pretty things like, I am the way, the truth of the life. He's like, no, I have given you the power. I've given these people power. Look out what they can do in this world that we live in. And come on, when he was preaching that stuff, it was the Roman era. Not a pretty sight. They were still, they were still worshiping all kinds of idols and, 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 and crazy things going on. Not much different sometimes than the world that I see around me. And I'm not just talking America. I'm talking literally the world. You know, I've often wondered why we're not seeing the influence that we want to see. And um, are we ineffective and, or are we sometimes effective and mostly ineffective? You know, I ask those questions too, even in my own personal life. I'm sure you do as well. Um, I read a report a while back from the Barna Group who does studies and, and polls a lot of Christian viewers. And, the, and this one said this, like one in four non-Christians said that modern day Christianity no longer looks like Jesus. Right? And I, when I read that, I, you know, I just went, oh, they talk about me. <laughs> you know? And so that's what unbelievers, uh, not, not all, but a lot of them look and they go, I don't know, I see the modern church, but I'm just not sure that I see the power of Christ Jesus. Right? And so why is that? Ask those questions sometimes. And I don't know about you, but I was raised in a very religious culture. I was, you know, they drug me to church almost every Sunday unless we were away at the mountains. And, and so I didn't want to be there. And when I turned teenager, I ran for my life. Why? I wasn't interested in a God who was, come on, number one, stoic, very stern. Uh, they portrayed him as mostly angry, watching your every move. But guess what? He's also watching your every thought, ready to punish, ready to dole out condemnation, right? Ready to, ready to just, you know, uh, tell you how wrong you are. And get this, mostly I was taught that God is unapproachable. Mostly taught that God is, is up there looking down at me, watching me, but, it, but literally angry and unapproachable. That was one of the main things I was taught. Here's the one main thing that religion taught me growing up, at least in my culture. I and mean, if your experience is different, thank God. My culture was like, we are right and they are wrong. Come on, somebody. Does that sound familiar? Even, uh, I was raised in a a very stoic Mennonite culture. Even Mennonites that were a little different than the church that I was, they were still called Mennonites. They were also wrong. They were just a different type of Mennonite. Brethren, especially wrong. (laughs) Looking back, I'm like, we're we're the same. (laughs) No, they're wrong. They don't go to our church. (laughs) And I, I was taught this. this. This was influencing my brain, you know. And then I met. Oh, come on. I was 19. I started working with some real followers of Jesus Christ. They seemed to have a lot more love, a lot more joy, a lot more peace. They even had excitement about going to church on Sunday, which was really odd to me. Really? You're excited for Sunday? That is strange. Yeah. And God seemed to me like their personal father and then an approachable person that we could actually have a relationship with. And that started my journey. But let's start here. What is going to be my approach to God, right? And, and your God view affects your worldview. So let's look at how we approach God. And in my opinion, there's two ways. Some of it is like the Christians that I just that I grew up with, and maybe some of you grew up with, and some of it's like the Christians I met later on in life. There's two different ways to approach God and see him, see God's nature. I'm going to start in Genesis, and I want to, I'm going to go all the way back and talk about the two trees that were in the garden. Let's start in Genesis 2, verse 8. And the Lord God 
planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man uh, whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made uh, to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight, and it was good for food. And the tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Two trees, right? Let's go to Genesis 2, starting at 16. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. Gave them one directive. They couldn't even do that, right? <laughs> Wait till we meet Adam. Adam's probably hiding out in heaven, you know, going, sorry, guys, sorry, guys, sorry. No, I don't know. Adam and Eve. <laughs> But the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat it, you will surely die. And as we know in studies, it's a different message. It's like a spiritual death. They were on their way um, to being obliterated. When they ate that, a, a death came to them spiritually, right? Uh, Genesis 3. Pick it up in Genesis 3, starting at 1. Now the serpent was more crafty. This is the enemy. More crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman... Did God actually say, you shall not eat of the tree in the garden? Question mark, big question mark. And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you won't, you won't die. You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God and you'll know good and evil. Sounds enticing, right? So when the woman saw, by the way, the enemy was saying, you can have something which technically they already had in God, all right? Letting them believe that they didn't already have something. Um, let's read on. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food <clears throat> and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate also. Then the eyes of both were open, and they knew that they were naked. And then they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And so let's talk about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Let's go a little bit into the tree of life. And I'm going to do my best to explain the two thought patterns. Unfortunately, still exists today. Fortunately, the tree of life thought pattern exists today. But unfortunately, the tree that God said don't eat of, the knowledge of good and evil, that is still a mindset and a worldview that we're still wrestling with today. The tree of life, let's look at that first, signifies God's life. Amen, somebody? So, and then you fast forward in the New Testament, it's symbolic of under the new covenant, Jesus said, I am the tree of life. You read that in various places. In John 15, Jesus described himself as the true vine and we're the branches and abide in me, abide in this tree, right? Number th uh, And Revelation 2, for example, to him who overcomes, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. By the way, do you know the book of Revelation is a revelation of Jesus Christ? It actually says at the beginning of the book, right? So many people make it out to be everything but a revelation of Jesus Christ. That's for free. Whole nother message. <laughs> but it is. And, and, and also in Revelation 22, then he showed me a river of the water of life, clear as crystal, coming from the throne of God and of the Lamb and in the middle of its street. And on either side of the river was the tree of life, bearing 12 kinds of fruit and yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. 
It's talking about Jesus Christ again, the revelation of Jesus Christ. Let's finish that thought with John 14 and 6. Jesus said to him, I am the way, and I am the truth, and I am the life. Amen, somebody? No one comes to the Father except through me. So we can, we can summarize in, in Scripture, interpreting Scripture all through the New Testament. Jesus says, I am that tree of life. You know, Scripture points to Jesus the whole way through. Amen? Even the Old Testament, if you look closely, you read it well, it's pointing to the coming Messiah the whole way. Man's journey to try to get to God, right? So the man Jesus Christ is that tree of life. Now, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, even more mysterious in my opinion to a lot of people, it represents the law or self-righteousness. Y'all don't know anybody like that, right? Man acting apart from God or man wielding the power to punish or judge right and wrong based on his own knowledge, Man left to himself, judging right and wrong. You can see nations across the planet right now that have a really warped sense of right and wrong, including our own in many cases, right? Just because they, the, the courts say something's right doesn't mean it's right in God's eyes. Come on. Man left up to himself makes some crazy laws, and they make a lot of great laws, and then they, then they ordain things and celebrate certain things, and you're going, wow, you know, where are they getting that? Well, not, not from God, right? Watchman Nee, um, he was actually a Chinese teacher and author from the 20th century, uh, long before me and you, but he said it this way, and I really like how he words it in one of his books. He says, the meaning of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is man acting apart from God, man pursuing goodness according to his self-will, man hastily and impatiently seeking after the knowledge that God has not granted and man pursuing progress by his own means rather than by trusting, in, by trusting in God. What all this means is that man is simply acting alone and independently outside of God. And then he finishes this paragraph by saying, Dear brothers, this is the first sin committed by man. It's not about all the thousands and thousands of ways you can sin. Really what the first sin really was is man saying, I want to do life my way. And I want to make decisions apart from my creator God. Amen. Y'all know anybody like that? Romans 6.14 says this, For sin shall not have dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. It's a grace-based worldview that actually starts to eradicate sin. And it's worth meditating on because the other way didn't work. Just read the Old Testament again and again and again, and they were unsuccessful. Come on, somebody. Unsuccessful in obeying God. Let's look closer at the two choices, the tree of life, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and look at the different messages that come from these two viewpoints of how to approach God and how to live life. Look at the first one. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil says this, do more to get to God. Versus the tree of life says, receive what Jesus already did, amen? And there's a, there, you can go on a rampage on each, each one of these because you can see how, how the tree of the knowledge of good and evil just takes you off into religion and off into law. Do more and be more. I, I literally, when I was first saved, I won't throw the church under the bus. That's not right. But I literally heard a message on how to get God to notice you. And I was young and dumb in the Lord. I didn't even know my Bible, and I went, I left church feeling oppressed, going, huh, 
I don't even, I, I'm sort of back to where I was growing up in that culture of obeying all the 3,000 rules to hopefully get into heaven. Man, isn't it God that formed me in my mother's womb, just like Jeremiah? I've known you, right? I am actually creator God, right? And so I was like, no. How about God already notices you because he was the one who made you? You're not a mistake. You are dear to his heart. He has known you from the beginning, from the moment you were conceived in your mother's womb. He's like, I know that person. They are my son. They are my daughter. I know them. Doesn't mean that we know him well. He's waiting for that, but he does know you. He does know everybody on the planet, past, present, and future. Come on, somebody. Romans 5, 8 says, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died, died for us. Man, he didn't wait for us to do it right before he did what he wanted to do to redeem us back to the Father. He didn't wait for us to learn how to repent properly, cry and wail properly. He did all this before we were ever born. He didn't wait for us to learn all the rules and laws and regulations and learn how to obey super well. He's like, I have a completed work to offer you long before you were ever on this planet. Now it's for us to say, I receive that. In Jesus' name, let's look a little further. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil says this. It focuses on external things. The tree of life says, I'm going to focus on the internal. I like how Joseph Prince says that he says, if you think right, you can act right. And we're, we're possessed in this country with acting right. You know, uh, as opposed to knowing that if this is fixed and you think right, it will result in right acting. Amen, somebody? 1 Samuel 16, 7 says this, when God was talking to the prophet Samuel, when he's trying to pick a, a king, you know, for the nation of Israel, he says, you know, you're not, you're not looking right, Samuel. He says, for the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Aren't you thankful for that today? Some Christians, this might step on your big toe just a little. Some Christians simply want the world around us to figure out what's right. And then do that. Make right choices, and then we're happy. How can we expect unbelievers to make right, moral, good decisions based upon our biblical worldview when they don't know Jesus Christ? I think it's disingenuous of us. And back to that statement from Barna, it makes me wonder, you know, how the world views Christians because we actually expect them to be Christ-like when they don't know Jesus. Just behave right for me. I'll say this before I move on and let you wallow there for a little bit. Behavior modification does not equal the kingdom of God. There is a right way but then we approach God the wrong way and then we approach the world the wrong way and says, just behave, just do what's right, just vote right. And you know what? If we pass the law, let's just say we would, uh, all the states would agree that we pass a law that all abortion is eradicated. Thank God for that, right? The courts are actually headed in the right direction. I'm, I'm all for good laws. Does that make sense? It does not equal the kingdom of God in people's hearts. It's just a, it's a great law. It's a right law, but that does not translate to, now we're all followers of Jesus because we're behaving rightly and valuing life. Does that make sense to somebody? Yes. You're all looking at me like I got 10 heads. I'm going to preach a different message next week, so come back. 
I'm teasing y'all. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil says, obey out of duty. And then the tree of life says, obey out of delight, or you can say, obey out of love. It's a whole different approach to the Godhead, right? 1 John 5, 3 says, for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments, and his commandments, listen to this, are not burdensome. Wow. They're not actually not burdensome. Do you ever read that in 1 John 5? When you, when you live in the tree of life, it's obeying out of delight, obeying out of love, and it's a whole different approach. It's because now I want to do this because of my love in Christ as opposed to this obey, obey, obey. You're not supposed to murder someone because it's against the law. Okay, I'm not going to murder anyone today because it's against the law. <laughs> that does not make a follower of Jesus Christ. The reason I'm not murdering someone today is because I love people. <laughs> because I'm in the love of Christ. And he has shown me his, his incredible love for me. And he has reconciled me back to the Father. And when you get to the heart of the Father through prayer, through worship, through meditation, you realize that what's biggest on his heart is people. It's what Jesus came and died for, right? And so no one has to give me a law to tell me to not murder someone. Because I'm compelled by love because of what God loves, so do I. Why? Because I'm in Christ and he is in me. Therefore, we have the same nature. Whether I live in a country that allows murder, whether I live in a country that, allow, that says murder is wrong, so what? I'm in the kingdom of God, and it's that that compels me to do what's right. Amen, somebody? You with me? Well, how do we do that, man? I don't know how to live in the tree of life and obey out of delight and love. I want to go to, I want to, go to three keys that might help us you know, walk in the tree of life and learn to distinguish between what mindset we're living in and... Um, kind of dogma we're, we're soaking in. Number one is this, fall in love with Jesus. I know it sounds too simple. I know it's, it's a little cliche, but are you actually in love with Jesus like I just described? And one of the best ways to do this, uh, there's a few scriptures I want to throw out. Get this, John 14, 15. It says, if you love me, keep my commandments. If you love me, keep my commandments. And again, I used to read that the wrong way too. It's like, you will show me that you love me if you obey my every commandment. And that's actually not quite what he's saying. It's more along the lines like this. When you fall in love with me, you will be keeping my commandments because when you are in love, everything you do then is from that place of life in Christ. And I don't wake up going, I hope I don't murder someone today. I hope I don't lie today. I hope I don't cheat today. No, you're not thinking that. Why? Because you're thinking how much you are in love with the man Jesus Christ and his nature then is his nature coming out through you and you don't think about murdering some, you don't think about not murdering someone. Does that make sense? Because you're, you're compelled to just follow Jesus. So it's a whole different way to look at it. Yeah, you will be automatically keeping his commandments because Jesus', Jesus life just does that through you. 2 Corinthians 5.14 says, For the love of Christ controls me. Another translation says, compels me. In other words, that is the motivation by which we live life, compelled and controlled by the love of Christ. And, I can fulfill the commandments of the Bible better by falling in love with God rather than trying to obey everything. Does that make sense to somebody today? I want to finish with this. 1 John 4, 19. Finish this thought anyway. It says, we love him because he first loved us. How do we fall in love with Jesus? Meditate on what he's actually done for us. 
and learn to celebrate that and go deeper and look at the finished work of the cross. Look at how he forgives sins and heals the sick and even raises the dead. And look at how he delivered us from the pit of hell. He put our feet upon a solid rock and raised us up to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And he's given us gifts to live life on this planet. And it's amazing thing after amazing thing how he gives life and life more abundantly. And you come away from that like he's done so much for me and he loves me so much. And then you can't help it, but you just love him back. Just telling yourself, love Jesus, love Jesus, love Jesus. Didn't work for me either growing up. They actually preached love Jesus like it was a commandment. (laughs) But I didn't know that God loved me. Does that make sense? When you revel in his incredible love for you, you can't help but love the man Jesus Christ as well, your heavenly father. Does that make sense, somebody? Number two, how do we walk in the tree of life? Respond to sin with life. Respond to sin in life. It's a different response, perhaps. And <clears throat> rather than, you know, repeat myself from two Sundays ago, and uh, Christians are good at railing against sin, but not that great at speaking life. Um, and I'm counting myself among you. I've been really convicted among, uh, about this recently in my own personal life. And there's just a lot of channels we can listen to. YouTube is filled with just ranting Christians, ranting against sin. But it doesn't actually change culture at all. Uh, what does change culture is the tree of life. And so get this. I have something just to share with you that I, that I stumbled across this week. And did you realize that the only people to whom Jesus intentionally applied the label of sinners, those awful sinners was the high priests and the rulers of Jerusalem. Never stop to think about that? I didn't either until a while back. In the other places where Jesus refers to people as sinners, he was actually in discussion with the religious leaders and he was using their terminology because they were saying, we're right and you're wrong, and they labeled everybody that wasn't like them sinners. And Jesus came in and sometimes agreed with their terminology but, but there's one place, there's actually a few places, but for example, in Luke 24, 7, Jesus says something like, the Son of Man must be delivered over into the hands of sinners. And he was actually talking about the chief priests, the religious rulers of the day. He's calling them the sinners. Otherwise, get this, if you read scripture carefully along, along this, Jesus said, they're lost sheep that have gone astray. And, and, and maybe it's just a play on words, but I think it picks at our worldview. As opposed to, do you see people created in his image who need to be liberated, or do you see righteous sinners? Jesus came to set the captives free, and he didn't do that by yelling sinner in their face. He did that by visiting their house, visiting the marketplace, going to Zacchaeus' house, meeting the woman at the well. He's like, I got freedom for you. Come on, you're one of the lost sheep of Israel. Come on into the Father's house. Amen, somebody? Jesus came to set me free, not to make me sorry. Did you ever hear that quote? He didn't wait for you to see how sorry you could be. He said, I died for you. Now I want freedom for you. Come on, let's just do that. Number three, Stop swinging between two trees. Live in the tree of life. No, it's a conscious choice. When you understand the revelation and living in the tree of life, you have to make a conscious choice. That somewhere, I'm going to 
do what I do by living in the tree of life as opposed to trying to figure out the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which is, you may agree with me, religion can be exhausting. Finding out all the ups and downs and the new ways of doing things. And I, I think that at some point there, we stop swinging between the true trees like a monkey. I don't, I don't know. You know, I was going to wear a monkey suit this morning. There's actually one hanging back there from a previous summer camp. I saw it. I think I saw it back in that dressing room back there. <laughs> but that's been most of my Christian walk. I'll just be honest with you that I would swing between two ideas and swing between true trees and go, I'm going to live in the tree of life. And then you swing over to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and say right and wrong and start judging according to our ideas. And I've done that many, many times. And I'm sure many of you have as well. I might still be swinging, but let's make a conscious choice to say, I'm going to stop swinging between those two trees, amen? C.S. Lewis said this. He said, human history is the long, terrible story of man trying to find something other than God which will make him happy. And that's what we're doing. We're like, is this really right for me? Let me swing over here and see if I can get some satisfaction out of another idea, a man-made idea, right? So let's just admit that we swing between the two trees sometimes and then repent. Do you know what the word repentance means? The word metanoia? It actually means to change your mind and think differently about these things. That's actually what that word means. And so we get at some point to say, I have changed my mind. I am in the tree of life and I'm going to stay here. Come on, somebody. You agree with me today? Uh, I don't want to go back to the tree of the knowledge, good and evil. It doesn't lead to life. And I don't want to do life my way with my own wisdom. Um, let's read 1 John 5, 12. It says this, whoever has the son, that means Jesus, whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. And so I'll finish by saying this. A grace-filled follower of Jesus, which is what we want to be, is one who lives in the tree of life making the motivation for how he thinks or acts based on love and based on life in Christ. Therefore, she sees the world through a lens of grace. Can I get a good amen here in Berks County this morning? Would you all stand with me today? You're such a wonderful audience. I know you're all thinking of burgers and hot dogs as we got a party right afterwards. <clears throat> I just want to make sure that all of you here today and those of you watching online, I have one final question for the morning. Do you know Jesus and are you living in the tree of life? Have you made that conscious decision? Is Jesus Christ Lord? Have you repented of your ways and changed your mind and said, I need Christ in order, I want to be compelled in love? and live my life in Christ. And every eye closed for just a, just a precious moment. We do this to give everybody a little bit of personal space. That's all. It's the only reason we do that. And in this one moment, if you're here and you're saying, I don't know that I fully made a decision to follow Christ, I'd love to do that. We would love for you to just raise your hand and we're gonna pray with you. That's as simple as launch, as simple as what we do this morning. We're gonna just launch, help you launch your with Christ. If that's you this morning, would you raise your hand high so I can see it? Say, I need to know this, Jesus. Amen. I see you. I see you. I see you too. Wonderful. There's at least three, maybe four and five. What a beautiful. You can put your hands down. I'm so proud of you guys this morning. I declare the tree of life over you. Can we all just pray together? Pray with us. Say, Jesus Christ, I believe that you're the way and you are the truth and you are the life. I repent of all my sins and I receive your full forgiveness. You are my Lord and you're my Savior. 
Holy Spirit, I welcome you to lead and guide me into all truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's applaud those who said yes to Jesus.